0: Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial. We hope you are staying safe and are well wherever you are. And we look forward to seeing you in person someday in the future at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco. Until that happens, we are doing all of our programming online. This is the latest in more than 200 online programs the club has produced in just the past five months. You can find all of our upcoming programs, as well as audio and video from our past programs, and to learn how you can help support our program production at commonwealthclub.org. Now, to kick off the program, here's Antoinette Mayer from the external leadership team of Blue Shield of California. Antoinette.
1: Thank you, John, good afternoon. I am honored to be here today on behalf of our 7,000 employees and the more than 4 million members we serve. If we have any Blue Shield of California members on the call, we want to thank you for trusting us as your valued health care partner. I also want to thank Michelle Miao and the Commonwealth Club for hosting today's discussion and for being the leading national forum open to the impartial discussion of public issues. And lastly, I want to thank our distinguished experts for serving on today's panel and all of you for listening. Today's session is about youth and community resiliency, and that is something each one of us can each relate to. The reality is it has never been tougher to be a child, and it also has never been tougher to be a parent. I personally have experienced childcare challenges for my two-year-old toddler while juggling a full-time job. It has been a difficult year for my family, and I know for many other families out there, it has been and continues to be much, much harder. As the coronavirus crisis continues, all of us are feeling exhausted, isolated, and uncertain about the future. Many families are dealing with the challenges of the new school environment now shaped by the pandemic, as well as the economic impact. Job losses and limited resources for childcare have created enormous stress on families and children without the financial savings. Students are dealing with increased anxiety and depression, are feeling more disconnected than ever due to shelter-in-place orders and distance learning. Furthermore, the digital divide, the inability of students to do schoolwork at home due to lack of internet access and computers heightens the feelings of disconnection and the disparities, disparities between the haves and the have nots. Meanwhile, many youths are also dealing with the pressures of applying to college, peer pressure, racial and social injustice, experiencing or witnessing violence and abuse in the home or in the community, or even having a family member or friend attempt or die by suicide. Now, more than ever, it is important for us to build resiliency in youth and ensure our students are receiving the care and supports they need. To address this tough and weighty topic, I'm proud to share that Blue Shield of California launched Blue Sky, its largest corporate initiative to provide support and solutions for kids, parents and educators. It was fortuitous, perhaps, for we had no idea that within a few months of kicking off this very important program, we would be dealing with a global pandemic. Before we ever heard the word COVID, we identified youth mental health as an issue where we could make a meaningful difference for young people today and impact their overall well-being over the course of their lives. In California, we are doing poorly in the areas of children's mental health and resilience. In fact, California's grade in this area is a D, according to Children Now's um, Children's Report Card. That's not a grade any of us should be okay with. Studies show up to one in five students in the US has a serious mental health need, yet in California, too few of those affected receive the help they need. In the state of California, our student ratio of students to school counselors is a little more than 600 to one, more than double the national recommended ratio of 250 to one. Meanwhile, mental illness is the number one reason kids in California are hospitalized. You'll be hearing more about these stats and more during today's presentation. These realities demand action, and we have an important opportunity to impact the health of future generations. Through Blue Sky, we are thrilled to partner with important organizations like Wellness Together, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI California. We actually just completed a really neat campaign with DoSomething.org that you'll hear more about later in today's program. We're also fortunate to be working in concert with the California Department of Education and local school districts. The whole idea is to work with these groups to help build a healthier California by developing resilience and strong minds in our children. Our support is focused primarily on school based interventions at middle and high schools with special attention paid to low income communities. Through this program, we are also working to raise awareness about emotional health issues and break down stigma at schools. I think you all get the point, so let's get started with the program. I'm really happy to introduce to to you our panelists. First up, we have Jeremiah Aha, Assistant Director at Wellness Together. You'll also hear uh, hear from Jessica Cruz, Executive Director of NAMI California. We're also really pleased to have Joanne Clark, Senior Director of Educational Services at San Leandro Unified School District, to really give us the perspective on what is happening in our schools and Janisha Metcalf, head of campaigns at dosomething.org will be talking more about our cool campaign that we just wrapped up called The New State of Mind. I think you're all in for an insightful conversation on a topic that in this environment is not getting the coverage it deserves. So settle in. Now let's begin our program. I'll I'll be joining at the end of uh, of a, at the end of today's program. Here's our moderator for today, Michelle Miao.
2: Thank you so much Antoinette Thank you so much, Antoinette. Thank you to the Commonwealth Club and Blue Shield of California for putting this program on and all our thought leaders who are joining us today. If you're joining us live, feel free to send us questions. We want you engaged. And of course, if you're concerned, you have a a thought or a comment, send those to us too. Let's begin with some context on why we need mental health programs in schools and for our youths. And just looking at a quick snapshot of a report the CDC had released this past summer, some mental disorders they bring up, such as ADHD, uh, depression, anxiety, some of these disorders affect up to 10 million children nationwide. How does that apply to California? Well, let's find out. Jeremiah, let's start with you. Let's talk about you know, the, the context, the background, the need for mental uh, health programs in our school systems.
0: Absolutely. Michelle, thanks for having us. So to to set the stage, as you said, Antoinette had mentioned the the one in five students across the U.S. that have a significant mental health challenge that prevents them um, from achieving academically and also from connecting with others. Well, out of those one in five, 80% of those aren't able to access services. It could be for a number of reasons. It could be um, because the nearest clinician is too far away or they don't have a parent or guardian to provide the transportation to, to visit a mental health clinician. Could be some stigma in their family culture there, could be cost, could be a lack of insurance, or it even could be for our, our families that are undocumented, them participating in maybe some, some free or no cost services through the county or through a, a nonprofit organization. This could bring up some fears around public charge. And so there's many reasons and it's, it's pretty tangled as to why um, these students aren't able to get access. What um, we've we found um, over our time as a nonprofit based here in Sacramento, is that students are 21 times more likely to access services when they're there at school, as opposed to a community-based organization or agency. So being there at school really gives us a huge leap forward into cutting down some of those barriers for students to access services. Additionally, um, the school counselor ratio that Antoinette mentioned at the beginning School counselors spent two, sometimes three years. I'm um, trained to deliver mental health interventions and what we call social emotional learning supports on a school. But with the workload that they have, time isn't uh, there for them. Our executive director, Marlon Morgan, began as a school counselor. He saw the need firsthand. His first day on the job, he had 700 students to take care of. That's a lot of emails um, with families. And so with that need and with Continuing to see a pattern of students coming in, asking for a schedule change, not because of academic reasons, but more and more of them saying, "I can't get out of bed. I can't leave the house. Um, you know, I recently experienced something traumatic, and and it's hard for me even to participate in these AP classes." So these needs continue to rise, and schools are the place where we can um, very effectively deliver these services, cut down any barriers. And that's what the Blue Sky Initiative has done, has really increased access to students and families receiving mental health services, regardless of Medi-Cal or insurance eligibility, and at no cost to them. It's been a great partnership.
2: Jessica, let's hear from, from you and your thoughts and giving us some, some background on why we need mental health uh, programs
3: Yeah, well, we um, at NAMI California, we represent families and individuals who are impacted by behavioral health challenges on a daily basis. And and making sure that we're in schools and talking to students and reducing that stigma is one of our key points in creating a NAMI on-campus high school program. We know that three quarters of mental health conditions emerge before they're 24 years of age. So that is so important that we have to start talking about this. How we talk about it with students should be peer to peer, right? So we have our wonderful partnership with Wellness Works and with the Blue Sky Initiative, but we also know that the peers talking to one another is really where that conversation might start how to start that conversation is also about the stigma that sometimes is that barrier. And so NAMI comes in and we have a program that's really been created by and for students. Um, It's run through a club, so it is a student-run club. And a part of the purpose is to really create those safe spaces for individuals to have conversations. But it's also to reduce stigma, to run campaigns, It's to basically break down those walls so that the students and the families know that the resources that are provided by counselors are available. And that's what NAMI does. And that's why we're so happy to be a part of this conversation.
2: Thank you so much, Jessica. And that was kind of great segue to my next question, which is um, Antoinette had described it very briefly, but the blue sky initiative is, uh, is very diverse and it's multidimensional in its approach. It's not, you know, you know, transactional, um, when you look at it from tre- the treatment aspect, I mean, we're looking to engage parents, teachers, educators, students even. And so the next question was really going to be how uh, you know, it's a question for all of you, um, how your organization partners with the initiative and how that's playing out um, in your respective field. And so let's start with uh, with uh, Joanne. Let's let's start with, you know, the school um Uh, districts and and kind of uh, describe to us how that how the blue sky initiative is being implemented in, in schools.
4: Uh, thank you for having me. Um, as Jeremiah said, um, schools are the place where we can con- connect with the students on a large scale. We have all of the students Monday through Friday, um, 10 months out of the school year. And um, we know that students and like Jessica said, the peer to peer interaction is important. They'll reach out to peers for help. They'll reach out to their teachers when they're feeling um, um stressed and having anxiety. and um, probably over eight years ago when I came into San Leander Unified School District, we recognized at the district level the need to create a coordination of services team um, at every school site to ensure our twelve schools had equal access and opportunities for counselors, for after-school programs if needed, for intervention during the school day, um, and as well as as, um, someone to have a social-emotional learning group even during the school day. Because like you said, students will will leave after school and um, might not have the ability to get to a place where they can get help. Um, And so eight years ago, we created um, COST, which is our coordination of services team at each school site. And what this team does, it consists of principals, um, nurses, uh, parent facilitators. We have teachers that are on this team. We have a coordinator for each school. They will um, look at the needs of what their school is showing and uh, what kind of things are arising. And we partner with organizations like Wellness Together, um, like other organizations that will provide us mental health clinicians and support um, um for our students and for our staff. And so we're really fortunate because it does take a community and a school district, families, teachers, principals all together. And without that coordination of service team in place at every school, it would be discombobulated. It wouldn't, we wouldn't work.
0: I'd like to add to that, Joanne, your your team really has been great in welcoming our clinicians there with you. And to share, uh, Joanne has been a fierce advocate for her students and for the mental health needs that are there. And so Michelle, you mentioned, you know, how does this work? Um, we partner with um, you know, San Leandro Unified and some schools there and throughout the state to provide mental health clinicians on campus um, right there for them. And so when the cost team is, is going over the needs of some of the students, as it's referred to sometimes in education as high flyers or those that the name keeps coming up for a number of reasons. And we can see what are some additional supports that they might need in order to get them back on, maybe showing up to school um, more than they have been or for behavior or academic performance. And so in joining with them, because our goal is never to supplant or to replace any work that a school district does, but really to supplement and to work with them. It's kind of a part of our name is our mission to work together with them. So collaborating with them, And really from the cost team, a a program referral is sent and a student's able to receive 10 to 13 weeks of weekly sessions of cognitive behavior therapy. And oftentimes students that maybe were looking like maybe needed some placement for special education or um, relocation to an alternative education site, something like that. Maybe what they needed was a space where it was free of judgment. It was emotionally safe for them and they could be themselves And we oftentimes find that um, those gains end up happening and then it kind of goes back to the cost team and say, you know, what else can we do um, for this student? So it's a little bit of the how and how this is working. And again, this would not be possible without the funding and the partnership um, with Blue Shield of California. Thank you so
2: much, Jeremiah. It's really, really exciting. I mean, you know, I've looked back at even just my own uh, growing up and going to school and, um, you know, seeing a counselor. And, and one counselor, you know, for a lot of students, uh, I, I just kind of looking back, it's like, I really wish that there were a lot of my counselors at the time for every one of us. Um, but Janisha, I, you know, I'm very, very excited to hear about do something good. And the reason why is because, you know, we talk, when we talk about mental health and Jessica had mentioned it earlier, you know, the stigma around it, I think for, for many parents, for many peers, uh, many people, when you have questions about how can you help, um, sometimes you look at it from the treatment aspect without looking at it from, you know, the individual aspect that our youths are resilient, they're courageous, and they can stand up on their own. And so, Janisha, let's hear from you how uh, Do Something Good is partnering with the Blue Sky Initiative and allowing for our youths to really thrive.
5: Sure, Absolutely. Um, So, first, let me just say my background is actually in social work. Um, I used to work in the foster care system here in New York for a few years uh, doing clinical work. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, having the resources and services at the community level and in schools are amazing and important. Um, But near peer and peer-to-peer engagement is what students want and need, right? Um, so I'm a mom of two. I know there are so many times where I'm telling my children something and then let an older cousin or someone who is a bit closer to their age say the exact same thing. And all of a sudden, um, it's, you know, it's heard and it's received. Um, so with our campaign for do something.org, we created a New State of Mind, uh, which um, our goal was to create a guide for mental health for students by students uh, so we source mental health tips from students and our goal was to get 44,000 tips um, young people continue to blow us away and do amazing things um, and we received 74,000 tips uh, with 16% of those coming from young people in the state of California um, and so we just uh, do something here we believe in listening to young people we believe in the power of young people Um, And so a lot of what we heard in terms of those tips were uh, things like the importance of understanding how to balance their time. Now that homeschool and remote instruction was taking place, um, young people spending way more time with their families than usual, right? So if you're worried about uh, a relative or if you have a younger sibling that you're not used to spending 16 hours a day of, I'm an oldest of three, so I can relate to that as well, Uh, we were just being stressors that young people weren't necessarily able to name but they were saying things like this has impacted how I feel. I don't want to go outside. I'm not talking to my friends as much um, and hearing that that impact was coming from 57 percent of uh, Gen Z and the young people that we um, survey. Um, and the last thing I'll share just in terms of the importance of the Blue Shield uh, campaign and the partnership and how timely it was We spent a lot of time and research thinking about COVID and surveying uh, young people because we knew it impacted 52 million young people. But I also want to offer that um, additionally, racial trauma has been a huge pandemic that we've all been um, grappling with, right? So you're watching the news, you're seeing protests, you're seeing unarmed people killed. You don't have that in house, there's office, you don't have that buddy or friend you usually talk, right, you're sort of processing that information on your own. Um, so we do think that having this mental health guide has been a resource, not just for if you're struggling with homeschool or your family situation, right, maybe your parents laid off, but also that racial trauma piece as well. So very timely and very important for our young
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so, and you're, you're so right. I mean, we're all affected. We're all impacted too. And uh, I'm, I'm looking for something so good. And so my apologies earlier, it's do something.org, not do something good. Um, but that's also a great segue to the conversation around COVID. I know so many parents, community leaders, educators, we're all talking about it, how it's impacting us, but especially our youths and the school system. And so let's go to the rest of the panel and and talk about how you're pivoting during this COVID situation. Jessica.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. And you know, I can totally relate. I am a mom of two as well. And you know, we had to do a total pivot when it came to homeschooling and working from home. Um, My daughter lives with anxiety. And so she had to, we had to try and figure out how do we, change her therapy appointments to telemedicine and um, she needed it a lot more. She had more frequent visits with her therapist. And so all of this change that causes um, that anxiety within us as adults is also manifesting in children and they don't know how to deal with it. And so what we have done is when we're virtually pivoting into this virtual world, um we're trying to make sure that uh that we're still available so that nami is still here we are experts out of our own experience. So if you have something that you have a question about, we have the answer as far as our experience is concerned, because we've been there, we've done that. And so recently with COVID and working from home, um, we held a youth symposium for California, where we had hundreds of students throughout the state come and join uh, a two-day event. And um, we're also changing our NAMI on campus curriculum, club, club curriculum, since they can't meet, um, during their, their, uh, times at school, we're changing it so that they can meet virtually and we can continue to partner with groups to bring information like do something.org would be so great to bring to our kids about that resource and that tool. And then how do we connect if they are having trouble and some issue, who do they turn to within their school district where they can talk? And, And so we've been working hard internally to make sure that our students uh, within these clubs, not only now that they're starting a new school year, but they're also prepared to take care of their wellness and to also understand when those triggers are in place to get that higher level of care. So uh, at home, we've been doing a lot of work uh, doing that pivot and my daughter is doing excellent in um, all of the new changes that have happened. She has an amazing therapist that she's able to talk to. um, And we in NAMI, California, are hearing that, you know, students are resilient, kids are resilient. And so I've been telling my kids, you know, you're a part of history here. And how we shape that history is how we're going to respond to that. And so really, we're going to be in the history books, not only for COVID, but all of the, the injustice that's happening within our world at the moment, how we respond and how we handle it is what's gonna make the biggest difference. And so um, that's what we've been trying to do both at home and at NAMI.
4: Yeah, I'd like to add um, um, on to what Jessica is saying about in a school district, all of us, uh, we have a great team in ed services and in the district at large had to pivot quickly. And um, the relationships that I have with Jeremiah, for example, he, he commented on that with all of our um, community-based organizations, all of us as directors have really close knit um, relationships with our community partners. And so we're able to pick up the phone, give them a call when all of this happened in March, work together even through texting with our providers and just having a quick turnaround to say, what do you need? How can we get into place pretty quickly, pretty rapidly while we're adjusting? At the same time, you know, parent of two, and uh, as our team is, you have to adjust at home and you're, you're creating that environment at home where you're, Uh, sons and daughters are looking up to you, seeing how you're reacting to the situation and bringing home the laptops and bringing home all the equipment and, and having to be on and and be present for work has been a big challenge in in my home. Um, My family watches me work, you know, all the time and, and, and they know it's important because um, when you, when you want, kids to feel comfortable in this new environment, you work hard to get that done. And so that big pivot for us was to have those relationships with our community-based organizations was key. And to know that we already had our systems in place, we were able to then s- seamlessly switch it into a virtual setting very rapidly um, with with our referral forms going in a, online, having our providers easily go to um, telehealth and use Zoom. Um, we all partnered together. And so we, we wanted to make sure that there wasn't a gap of service for our, for our students and families.
0: I would agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, Joanne, Joanne speaks truth. Um, I'll add too, as we all, whether it be if, if we're parents or if we live with others, the professional pivot and adjustment we've had to do at a time where stability and predictability and familiarity is kind of foreign right now. And I think, uh, it's important to bring up our LGBTQ young people and the transition that they've had just in what their world has looked like, because not just for LGBTQ young people, but for many students, school was the safest place for them. That was where they connected with their peers. That was where they had people that love and respected them as they were, that where their preferred pronouns got used, whether it be by teachers or school staff or their friends. And for many, not for all, but now those students maybe are, are back at home. Um, there, was a, there was a study released by the Trevor Project earlier uh, this summer, and it was with 40,000 young people ages 13 to 24. And one of the findings that came out of that was that 40% of the LGBTQ young people had considered suicide in the past year. This is The survey ended in March, so before some of these COVID restrictions and quarantine and shutdown had happened. So for many students, they are at home, and um, this is not the safest place. It's unwelcoming maybe at best, and maybe at worst it can be even emotionally or physically harmful for them. So what does it mean and the value for our clinicians to to pivot very quickly to telehealth? I consider ourselves and our team extremely fortunate because we've been delivering telehealth or counseling via um, video conferencing here over Zoom since 2017. And so our entire team of clinicians was already trained. We already had the um, processes to go completely paperless. That was already in the works. So within a matter of about 48 hours, it was a quick phone call to Joanne and other district leaders for the other districts we're at just to make sure, even though it's kind of in our agreement, just to say we're prepared for this. We already have a draft email set to go out to all the principals to let them know. And um, we were off and running. As, As Joanne said, there was... Um, Hardly a gap in any of the services. And in some districts here in the state, the students continued to show up for those weekly appointments. Some of the caseloads from 75 to 90%, what we call utilization rates. They were still showing up to that, even if it meant, hey, don't have access to Wi-Fi at home, but we can do our session over the phone. So that has been huge. And for some, I think lastly, I'll say for some students, it has been helpful therapeutically because we're able to get an inside look at their world. We can see, oh, hey, there's a guitar in the corner of the room. You play guitar? What kind of music do you like? And now we were in their world, almost literally. And that even helped for some of the vulnerability to increase, some of those walls to come down. And um, that's some of the positive things that we have seen. And we hope to continue to see that as a lot of the shelter-in-place orders are, are still existing, especially in California.
2: Janisha, would you like to add a little bit more? I'd love to go back to the 74,000, you know, stress reducing tips and and talk about, I mean, I I think as we're sheltering in place and we're learning that um, our youths do yearn to be connected regardless, and we can find ways to do that um, from a a social perspective. I would imagine 74,000 were, you know, kids reaching out to connect to one another. Uh, So you could talk a little bit about that. And what are some of those stress reducing tips that our youths are sharing?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So 74,000 of those tips actually came from 48,000 young people. So that just gives you a sense of how many young people uh, participated in the campaign and were interested in sharing their ideas. And the the tips that they shared really centered on a few themes. So one, balancing um, whether they were at work and their new homeschool curriculum, Uh, Secondly, thinking about how to manage their new stressors in terms of family or just being concerned or worried about uh, loved ones, and also just thinking about the ways in which uh, that they would practice their own self-care, right? So if you were a person who loved to go to the gym or seeing that um, there were a number of young people who were really interested in sports and just that camaraderie of being on a team or what that did for both your physical and mental health, those were some of the things uh, that we were looking at replicating for young people and having them, um, a lot of their their ideas were around creating new um, systems for themselves because their routine, to Jeremiah's point, was completely thrown off, right? So you're not running on, on the track field, uh, you know, three times a week anymore. So figuring out how to do that in a physical distancing way uh, were some of the tips that we saw. Um, We saw music as a natural uh, sort of self-care routine um, come in at uh, 27,000 young people listing that um, as one of the key tips, um, exercising, finding social distance, uh, physical distance ways to do it. Um, And also just having a buddy system and checking in with a friend was something that we saw come up repeatedly. Um, So we had an additional campaign that we Uh, ran um, as well called Mental Note, and that gave an opportunity for people to send a note to a friend um, and to check in either um, prior to COVID in person, but also that gave you the ability to text in um, what you wanted your friend to know. Hey, I'm thinking about you, Um, hope to see you soon or just things that let people know um, that they're, they're there for um, each other. Um, So we heard listening as being one of the key tips for young people. Um, Particularly when we thought about COVID, there were so many different stressors that were, were happening. Um, Young people were not front and center immediately of that conversation, right? We talked about the economy. We talked about the struggles of working parents, um, but it was, it was, You know, you're missing your prom, you're missing your graduation, you're missing your last football game. Those things were really on the back burner for us as a society as a whole, right? And so I think a part of what was so great about partnering with Blue Shield to produce this guide is we were also able to put those stressors that may seem to us like not as important if we're, you know, if we're comparatively speaking, Um, But that could be your whole world if you're 16 or 17 years old. Um, So those were the things that were were key for young people when we um, surveyed them.
2: That's incredible. I I think it applies to all of us, too, though. Thank you, youths. (laughs) Uh, We do have some questions from our audience. And thank you, audience. So if you're joining us live, keep them coming, and we'll try to get through all of them. And so uh, this one here, anyone from the panel, if you want to take it, you can just jump in and answer Are there different needs and approaches uh, uh, required for various student populations, depending on racial, ethnic backgrounds?
5: Yeah, um, I can jump in here. Um, So as a part of our work for Do Something, one of the things I love is that we're across a number of cause spaces. So when we think about mental health, as I mentioned before, that's also acknowledging racial trauma, that's acknowledging um, the impact of poverty can have on a young person, or um, access to resources. Um, so we actually created different guides for young people depending on how they identify, right? If you are a student of color, you might be having a different conversation at your dinner table um, than students who identify as white or identify as allies as in terms of the type of work, we all have work to do, but the type of work is going to be look a little bit different. Um, so for us, we created tailored guides just to think about um what might be some of the the key skills and in terms of the toolkit that we created um for just helping prepare young people for what are really difficult conversations, even for us as adults. Um, so, I do think that there's just a different level of awareness of unpacking um the association with the pain, right? So, as a mother, to a little black boy when I see it, not that we, we, we're we not all traumatized because we're all human and all dealing with this, but it's just, it hits a little bit differently. And I think that's what we want to just acknowledge with the young people that we're working with, right? Is that you may be feeling something this may be hitting you a little bit differently. And here's some language for understanding Uh, racial trauma. Here's some language for understanding microaggressions, and here's some tools for how to deal with it, no matter who you are and how to help your friends.
3: And I'd love to jump into, I think that's absolutely incredible that you guys are offering those tools. Um, We at NAMI have done a ton of research with a, a lot of our other programs in how do we talk about mental health within various different communities? And it's really different, you know, whether you're from, the American Indian community, LGBT community and how you speak about it from a young person's standpoint with your family. Also, it, the language that different cultures use and then the different interventions that are necessary in order for people to feel that they're that they're having their path to wellness is is very different and so tools that are are very uh, not just culturally competent but culturally sensitive, language sensitive, coming from the community. So what we did at NAMI is we actually, a lot of our programs are adapted, not just culturally or or, our translation, but adapted to the various different cultures. And they were really, um, we we have all of our, our experts are from various different communities. So again, it's driven by the communities. And so I think it's a great point that we have to make sure that it's not just a one size fits all when it comes to talking about behavioral health or mental health issues. It does depend on, you know, which community you come from or where you identify and how do you talk about that and preparing the the people who you're seeking that help from, whether it's a faith-based community member, whether it's your, you know, not everybody likes to go to to a clinician. They, They feel maybe that that's not comfortable for them. And so making sure that that people have the ability to seek services where they feel comfortable from people whom they feel are comfortable with, who look like them, understand them. And so that is a huge part. And I'm so happy to hear that that's what's happening in, in other um, areas where it comes to behavioral health, because it's a huge core issue for us at NAMI is to make sure that we can't just lead lead a horse to water, they have to be able to drink it, right? And so we can say we have all of these services available, but if we're not offering them and we're not reducing the stigma and we're not opening the conversation in the ways um, that people feel comfortable, then we're not doing the service that we think we are. And so it's so great to be amongst people here on this panel who understand that and who are providing those services to various different populations.
4: I'd like to add, in, um, from a school district's perspective, the professional development and training that we do with our staff has is, is started years ago, um, and, is, and especially the last couple of years of really taking our leaders through um, uh, trainings together around providing cultural responsive teaching and making sure we're leading with that um, message, and just ensuring our staff have opportunity for professional development um, to engage in these practices is key in a school district and to provide those um, supports for, for students and families and, and even um, partnering with Jeremiah, ensuring our providers are um, bilingual and have that opportunity to continue the conversations with families and as well in our district, we anything we produce or share or communicate to our community, it is always um, translated in um, English and Spanish as English, Spanish and Chinese.
0: Excellent. I wholeheartedly agree with what the panel um, has already said. And just to that, it has been really great to see the Blue Sky program team and their recruiting and training of our therapists, Um, not only um, Spanish speaking, we have um, one clinician who speaks Punjabi, and just yesterday heard about a time when a student was like, oh, that's so cool, you're able to talk to my mom about this, and was able to really um, kind of dissolve any tension that might be there, because for the family background the student was a part of. air quotes, going to see a therapist may not have been as welcomed, but then when our clinician is able to to speak Punjabi to the mother, this all of a sudden was a connection point. Because Jessica, as you said, language, it shapes our world. It it is really everything. So that as well as um, Arabic, Um, one of our clinicians in the East Bay speaks Arabic. And so um, it has been really, really great to see that. And even having discussions with Blue Shield on a a long-term approach on what can be done to really to create kind of a pipeline for not only culturally responsive clinicians, but um, black and brown people of color clinicians, so that 10, 20 years from now, there are adults that are creating safe spaces for students that look like them, speak the language that they do, enjoy the food that they do. This can go a really long way in creating that safe holding environment.
2: Thank you, Jeremiah. We have another question from our audience, and this is going back to uh, a statistic that we shared earlier. Is the six hundred to one ratio of California students to counselors the same in wealthy schools and communities in low-income schools, or communities, or do wealthier communities provide more counselors for students? I'll
0: jump in a little bit, Joanne. You might have some context too. <laughs> um, I would say. Anecdotally, yes, it could be lower, especially if it's a private school, it would be lower. The national recommended average that Antoinette had mentioned um, from the American School Counseling Association is 250 to 1. There's only a couple states uh, in the U.S. that have that. Um, but here in California, because of um, per, with what they call per-pupil spending and some of the funding that um, district leaders like Joanne gets, they're, they're limited into how many positions they're able to provide that particular school. So not all of them are like that. And maybe, Joanne, you could speak to some of the breadth of districts, particularly in East Bay or beyond.
4: Yeah, um, it is um, per district, and it's, it's different across the state. Um, as more resources and more opportunities are provided for school district. We analyze that under our local control accountability plan, which is called our LCAP, and we analyze the needs um, and get input from our community and input from our stakeholders to create our budget and our plan. Um, this year, that's shifted a bit; another pivot into another another uh, uh, a spending plan for this year due to COVID. But yeah, it, it's different, and it's it's not equitable, and it's not the same across California, and 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 legislators and and needs to have more clear. Uh, support for school districts to serve their populations and, and be very local control around giving those districts more funding to provide this opportunity and and support. That's why I partner with, and I, as Jeremiah said, you know, some people have said, you know, Joanne, you've got a little hustle and I'm like, yeah, because it's important to me if I get out there and I connect with as many community people I can, because I want those resources for our district. I want those extra uh, providers to come to San Leandro, and I want that for the whole state. So it's not just my district, but it requires us to get out there and connect and, and um, work together.
2: And uh, one last question before we go back to our program, um, and I can't believe it, but <laughs> we're almost out of time, uh, but this is a good question. What are one or two most simple or simplest things that students can do to help themselves? Uh, we'll start with Janisha. With
5: Yeah, I love this question um, because I think just in the same way that we spend so much time and attention on learning style, right? So if you're kinesthetic or if you're visual in um, the academic world, we spend a lot of time really specializing um, our curriculum to students of different learning um, styles. I think students should also know their coping style. And know their style, know what triggers you, right, so that you can self-protect and build up um, that resiliency. And even just thinking about, you know, my own child, when there is a conflict or something um, that's going on in her world, we have um, draw journal jam. So the options are, you know, do you want to draw this out? She's very artistic. Or is this a journaling moment where you really need to do a deeper process and reflection on your actions and what's next? Or are we having a dance party, right? Is this something where you just may, may need to shake that energy off and jam it out a little bit, and then we can have a conversation? Um, so I think from a student perspective, you know yourself, you know what... Um, makes you feel better you may not necessarily have the language that's what i'm always telling students right you may not be able to say you know this is the onset of anxiety or or speak in the way that us those of us who are clinicians will speak about it but you know what makes you feel better you know what makes your friends feel better um so i think that coping style and coping skills is really important especially in this moment
3: Yeah, I would say the two biggest things uh, would be creating a schedule, because having that consistency when we don't have school, um, you know, having that, I get up at this time, I'm going to bed at this time, really helps create that structure. And then sleep. I think sleep is an underrated um, mental health drug that is free and available. And I know that for me, at least, when my anxiety takes on, I cannot sleep, and so I have different ways of making sure that I I put in some of my own um, self care techniques. So if if sleep isn't something you're like, no, Jess, that is not going to help. I can't do it. You know, try and figure out a schedule for your sleep, and you know, do you have to go to sleep at a certain time? Do you not have your phone an hour before you go to bed? Do you have your phone? Does that wind you down? Um, meditation. I've been listening to a lot of meditation that helps me fall asleep and I stay asleep. Um, so I think that those two pieces for young people, and at least what I tell my daughter as well, is you know making sure that we have a, a set schedule and then getting enough sleep. I mean, for young people, it is probably one of the most important functions for your brain to help it not only slow down, but also to, to rev back up when you need it too.
4: Yeah, and creating the same schedule at a school district in, in a virtual environment as they would if they were coming in person is really important to us. So continuing those patterns of going to sleep, wake up, you check in with your teacher at this time, this is when class starts, this is your recess break, this is your lunch break, just to consistently um, provide that in a, in a virtual setting in schools is important.
0: I wanted to wait there. I think I've stepped on your toes every single time I've spoke, so I wanted to wait. Uh, thank you. These are great tips. The two that I would add would be, um, one, just by virtue of this statement, it's impossible to be grateful and anxious at the same time. There's a lot of anxiety around, again, the unpredictability, the lack of stability that's around. And so I can create a lot of anxiety, not only for us as adults, but for our students. And so I would encourage everyone to at least once a day, write down, or maybe you you know put it on a note on your phone or something, three specific things that you're grateful for, and they can be small things like hey my favorite pen, um, I have you know this um, show I'm going to watch later, or um, you know I have clean clothes today, or what, very specific things, not just my family, my friends, and my school, but specific. So that would be good. Um, a, a daily practice of gratitude can help in this time. And secondly, would be um, there's Increased screen time post-COVID, right? I mean, everything now being distance learning. And, um, you know, teens were already spending about six and a half hours a day on personal screen time between TikTok, Snapchat, Fortnite, uh, YouTube, you know, all of these. Um, but one way that I think could be really good is connecting with others, but in a group. And if it has to be virtually, there's tools out there like YouTube watch parties or Hulu parties or things like that. We're coming together as a group. Maybe it's a group FaceTime where you can hang out, but still take the precautions that, that we need to do right now to keep safe and healthy because we can't gather as friends. It's one thing to just go back and forth, kind of an asynchronous one-on-one envi- environment. It's another to be like this. Having this conversation can make dramatic positive shifts in our mental health during this time.
2: Thank you. And Jeremiah, I think students would agree. I mean talking over one another, you know, on Zoom, it's, it's a natural thing now. <laughs> um, so I'm glad, uh, you know, we're doing that. We're having a conversation, a natural one. And uh, we've got a few minutes left. And so I'm going to cram uh, the, these questions into one. If you could spend a minute or two talking about, you know, the response so far and the lessons you've learned, um, you know, the the resiliency, maybe some, share a story or, or a positivity with us um, before we, we ask the very last question. So we'll go back to Genesha.
5: Yeah. So for me in terms of what's been so positive is just seeing the response of young people and how they've showed up. Um, in addition to the work that we've been doing with Blue Shield, we're also in the process of registering 250,000 uh, new voters through our voter registration campaign. Um, So just seeing young people show up, right? They're saying, hey, I have more time or I have more opportunity. Other things in my life have been canceled. I want to give back, right? Like that actually came up as a stressor where young people were saying to us, this isn't about me. I'm worried about my grandmother. I'm worried about my dad's business closing. I'm worried about other people um, who can't afford to buy groceries or pay their rent, and so just seeing that empathy and young people and that call to action, the sense of community that this all ha- that this has created for us all, I think, has been incredibly positive and powerful. Um, so that would just be my message: is that you know the pandemics that we're currently dealing with have made us stronger in a lot of ways, although they've been tough. Um, And I do think that they've shown us the incredible resilience and power that maybe we didn't know um, some of the young people in our lives had.
3: Yeah, I think, again, it's so inspiring to see how we have all really made this pivot into our new space. You know, who knows? I hope we don't go back to where we were. I hope we move forward and I hope we, I hope we beat this and and we're able to show our resilience i hope there's change with all of the injustice that are happening in the world and that we are moving into a better space i mean for me it's hope and 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 it's encouragement that we have so many people that are engaged Um, we too have seen a spike in our engagement with whether it's with advocacy and um, talking to our legislators about various different policies or joining these symposiums or Zoom calls that we do. We're seeing this engagement increase. And so for, for me, it's easy to look at all of the challenges. And, you know, I take a kind of page from Jeremiah and what am I grateful for? And what types of things can we continue to take that were positive through all of this? So the, the more time we are spending as a family. I know for some people that that is not a positive positive. and so, but what is find that one positive that you have really felt within this whole time and hang on to that and then keep it as you move forward. And I think that again, for us, all of us here, we're all battling something that we don't know about. Right. And if we can just show up for one another, and be there for each other, then we will make this world a better place. And so for me, it's hope. And it's what drives me to continue to do what we're doing here at NAMI, in engaging students, in making sure families are supported. It's because we know what it felt like to be in these shoes. And so we wanna make sure that the next generation changes the pathway that we're we're currently on so that it's different for my grandchildren and and the services that they're receiving for behavioral health. The world as it looks now is very different, hopefully for our
4: grandchildren as we move into the next generation. Joanne. Yeah, I'll take uh, Jeremiah's Statement too, and say I'm very grateful in our district that we are all in this together. I mean, we have had um, uh, a lot of support from all of our, our staff, our teachers, our principals, our parents, and just grateful coming together because um, we are all in the same same page. Same place, and so um, we've been doing parent learning series every Wednesday night in our um, district, and we offer it out to the whole community and families every Wednesday at five. We say sign up and uh, see us at five, and we partner um, with our families to show that we're we're modeling what we're learning too at the same time. So what we're doing is is to ensure everyone knows that we're learning together and being together and knowing that we're together makes it a little less stressful. And we're trying to model that for our for our students in the classroom. We're modeling that at home with our kids, our two, a uh, middle schooler and a high schooler. Like, how do we model that um, we're in this together and that we'll learn together. And at the end, we'll, become be, we'll be better because of it.
0: At the beginning of uh, year one for Blue Sky, we had a chance to visit with every single principal of all the schools in the East Bay and in San Diego County. Had a chance to shake their hands, be in their office remember what that was like. And uh, I had a chance to sit down. And when we shared with the principal, uh, you know, Blue Shield of California has offered this and your school district and your school site has been selected to receive these services. And she said, for for how long? Because often in education, there can be kind of short-term grants or short-term funding. So we said uh, for multiple years, several years, and she came to tears. And be- because the idea that there would be a partner that's there with them and it's not just us, it's also Do Something and NAMI of California and Youth Mental Health First Aid, all the partner organizations a part of Blue Sky, to have that was she was overwhelmed with with gratitude, I think even relief as she deals with a particularly um with a student population that has seen a lot of challenges impacted by many systems. And so to know that there was going to be someone on site or there available for them was was really it was a powerful moment um to see. And then finally, heard from a parent at the end of the year that um, tragically, um, her grandson's mom passed away right before Christmas, very unexpectedly. And because one of the coping skills we have and we're grieving and mourning is we isolate. And so the student isolated and she said, you know, with video games and movies and just went into his room, he wouldn't talk, wouldn't share much. Um, The school counselor saw that he was going through some tough times, referred them to the program and said he's, he's now doing better in school. He's talking about his feelings, he's opening up to me, and he's, he's a whole different person um, because of not just Wellness Together, but the school that's there all coming together to support him through these tough times that he experienced. And it, it has been really great. And that's like two milestones, two trophies that I kind of have tucked away after year one, the Blue Sky Initiative.
2: Thank you so much, Jeremiah. It uh, brings us to our last question, and, and welcome back, Antoinette. You'll be the last to answer this question, but really it's uh, focused on your goals. It doesn't seem that you know our situation will change anytime soon, and referring to COVID-19. And so with the Blue Sky Initiative, kind of where do you see the program advancing as we head into another year, another school year of covid
5: yeah, I think for us, our commitment is consistency, right? We, we continue to listen to young people, especially as things evolve. So hearing from them then gives us direction on the types of campaigns we need to run, how we need to pivot, being able to add to that um, crowdsourced mental um, health resource guide and providing them with additional Um, opportunities. So in our our recent survey, we're now listening to young people in terms of what their thoughts are on the return to school plans, um, the number of young people that are uncomfortable with going back to school in person. Um, So just creating campaigns and supports around um, support for distance learning and support for um, returning back to school. So that's our next step and we'll continue to survey um, and and pivot as we need to.
3: Yeah, so um, with our partnership with this initiative, we are looking to continue to expand our NAMI on campus program. So if you don't have a NAMI on campus within your school, go to our website and figure out how you can, can get one to come to your school where you could do it virtually you could be that leader in that space to provide this conversation within your schools and then be able to connect your students to uh, the various different resources. So we're really excited about the expansion of NAMI On Campus High School through this program and how we can help raise the issue and reduce the stigma around mental health.
4: Joanne. Um, We're going into our second year of being a partner with Blue Sky and Wellness Together, and last year we had a a great success with the program, and so we're looking forward to launching our cost uh, virtually and setting that up for the school year and making sure we don't miss a beat and stay right doing the services for students, and we have our first meeting actually next Wednesday, Um, and so we look forward to continuing um, that partnership and enhancing those programs for students and families.
0: We'd like to see a 20% increase in the number of referrals and the number of group services and a, a higher ratio of students referred to services and students participating in services, which really shows us a good understanding of the program. So those are three of kind of the five targets um, that we're going after for this next year. All underneath, I think what's primary for us is continue to strengthen the relationships with district leaders like Joanne and her team particularly in education relationships are everything and so continuing to build that trust with them is really going to go a long way so so we're excited and i think we're well on the right track the the blue sky program team has done a good job setting us up and already have some momentum as the school year started
1: Yeah, so Blue Shield is really proud of what we've accomplished since we launched the Blue Sky program. We're thrilled to continue to build this program with the partners um, on the call today. Our aspirations will always be ahead of our current state and what is believed to be possible. With that in mind, it's important to us that we continue to respond to what's happening around us and in the lives of those that we're trying to serve. So as highlighted by all of our panelists today, we really have some important work to do to ensure that we're providing support for students suffering from racial trauma. We're really seriously looking at the impact of George Floyd and other acts of racism on young Black men and women and how we can continue to build access, awareness, and advocacy for culturally responsive mental health supports for youth of color in California.
2: Thank you all so much. And uh, this was so great. It was so incredible to learn that we have um, some great leaders, you know, who are out there uh, for our youths or our communities or parents or education system. And I think that, you know, we all can agree that once we all come together and we put our resources together, I think that that's what provides a healthy community. So thanks for joining us here on the Commonwealth club. Thank you to blue shield of California for putting on the program and for blue sky um, and thank you to you for joining us. And like John Zipper said earlier in the program, this is one of over 200 virtual programs that we're putting on at the club. You can check out the full schedule at commonwealthclub.org. Or if you're interested in the Michelle Miao Show programs, you, you can go to commonwealthclub.org MMS. And I'll check in with Antoinette. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we yes. close?
1: Yes. Just a couple remarks, so what a terrific session. I just wanna say a huge thank you to Michelle for leading us through today's discussion and to our panelists for their thought leadership, your inspiration and the support that you provide each and every day to our students across California. Uh, Now that we all know how important resilience in children is, the question is what we will individually and collectively do. How can we embrace young people who are suffering right now to ensure that they have the support they need? Uh, First, we'd love for you to help create awareness about this topic by learning more about resilience in children. Please check out the student mental health resources on our Blue Sky website, including the new State of Mind Guide available on September 1st, and learn more ways you can help. We also encourage you to use the power of your voice and your network to expand the dialogue through your social media channels. We need everyone's help to raise awareness about this important topic and to fight mental health stigma. Our children are our future they deserve the best start for a healthy lifelong journey that aspiration which we should have for all children is why we can never stop and that is why blue shield will never stop join us